Now they're making Ghostbusters with only women. What's going on? Shut up and sit down. We will respond with that timeless creed that sums up the spirit of a people. Yes, we can. We choose to go to the moon in this decade and do the other things, not because they are easy, but because they are hard. Freedom and the dignity of the individual have been more available and assured here than in any other place on Earth. I know the human being and fish can coexist peacefully. Read my lip. And then we're going to Washington, D.C. to take back the White House. I love the poorly educated. We're the smartest people. We're the most loyal people. Do you have any idea how badly I do not want to talk about impeachment? It's only going to be like 10 days, right? We only have to oh, put up with this shit for 10 days. Six weeks, potentially. No. If, if there's witnesses. Well, it's not going to be witnesses. So 10 days? <laughs> Could be then, yeah. Okay. Just wanted to make sure we're all clear on that one. Hi, guys. It's uh, Barstool Politics. I am your host, Nick McGuire, joined as always by Dr. Bill Muck from North Central College and Dr. Phil Barker from Keene State College. Hi, guys. Hey, Nick. Hi. Hi. Hey. Uh, before we get started, all the usual fun stuff. If you guys have questions, comments, beer suggestions, uh, want to see what we're up to, uh, follow us on Twitter uh, at Barstool Paul, P-O-L, Facebook at Barstool Politics. Beers we try, you can find on Untapped on iOS or Android. Just look for Barstool Politics on there. Uh, the podcast, uh, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, SoundCloud, Stitcher, Google Play Music, most major podcasting platforms. Uh, review us, share us, like us through there. We always appreciate the support. Uh, and then you can check out our merch line yeah. on uh, teespring.com, which you can get a direct link from our social media channels. Um, we'll put that up periodically. Um, did we? Did I, no, no hats, right? No, hats no, no yet. not yet. No, yet. t-shirts, uh, hoodies, uh, mugs. Coffee mugs. Coffee mugs. Coffee tastes fantastic out of a Barstool Politics mug. You know what else tastes good out of that? Any kind of That's alcohol true. whatsoever. Right. Mm-hmm. You know what would be really good? Some mead. <laughs> And if, if if you buy some Barstool Politics merch, you should snap a picture of yourself and post it on social media. That would be fantastic. Yeah. Yep. Mm-hmm. We, we would retweet that stuff. We would absolutely do that. <laughs> You're not going to get anything for it, but you will retweet it. Yeah, definitely. Uh, <laughs> um, yeah, like I said, follow us on um, the social media channels and then you'll find the link for that. Um, yeah. <laughs> I mean, like we're we're finally here, which yep. I guess is good to some extent. That means there's some sort of light at the end of this tunnel, depending on what side you're you're affiliated with. Um, opening arguments were today. Yes, rules were yesterday. Um, beyond that, Bill, can you give us um, just a quick? rundown. Absolutely. So the impeachment trial of President Donald J. Trump has officially begun. Tuesday, as Nick noted, uh, entailed a contentious debate over the rules, and Wednesday brought us opening statements. The rules themselves are fascinating and reflect the bitter partisan divide. Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell agreed to allow each side to 24 hours for opening arguments over three days instead of two, meaning each day will likely run around eight hours, not 12. 12 hours, that'd been a long day. Over the last week, we They're also old. they get cranky. That's right, and they can't use their cell phones. Uh, we also witnessed President Trump's legal dream team come together. Trump added Ken Starr, the prosecutor who led the impeachment investigation of Bill Clinton, as well as celebrity lawyer Alan Dershowitz. Dershowitz has a long list of infamous clients, including Jeffrey Epstein. Uh, Dershowitz even got a massage at Epstein's house one time. But don't worry. He has acknowledged publicly that it was from an adult woman and, quote, I kept my underwear on during the massage. 
Nobody's talking about that, Nick. I know. Uh, this week, Trump's legal team submitted a 110-page brief detailing their legal argument for the case. They plan to advance a controversial position that the case should be dismissed because neither article of impeachment, abuse of power, or obstruction of Congress involves a specific violation of law. Dershowitz has been on the cable news circuit arguing that even if lawmakers were able to prove beyond a shadow of a doubt that Trump abused his power, it would not be an impeachable offense because the founding fathers didn't intend for Congress to remove a president based on political charges such as abuse of power or obstruction of Congress. All right, so much to break down. Phil, you always keep your underwear on during a massage. So where where should we start? (laughs) I keep it all on. Jeans, sweater, everything. (laughs) Uh, So, I mean, I I think we should just, I I feel like we should start. I mean, we we should come around to Alan Dershowitz arguments and stuff like that. But I I feel like we need to start with, I I know that you are already ready for it to be over with, Nick. But as a political science nerd, (laughs) this is like, this is massively, this is huge. This is history, right? I mean, it's mm-hmm. kind of uh, amazing that we've uh, had two, some some people, three of these in their in their life life uh, lifetimes. But uh, yeah, this is big stuff. Um, and I can't. I know that I'm weird, but I can't help but be excited when I when I watch it. Like feeling like I am watching history, even if we already know. I, I don't think we 100 percent know the outcome of this. We like 99% know the outcome of this. Uh, but even with that, it's, it's, it's significant. And it's, um, I, I, and I, don't, I don't know if enjoy is the right word, but it was, uh, I, I, I did. I enjoyed watching it because of the significance um, of, of the moment. And, and I feel like, uh, let me kind of say this, and then we can maybe use this as a jumping off point. I, I feel like as I watched yesterday, I got to watch more yesterday of the debate of the rules than I did today with the opening statements. Um, but as I watched, I, I feel like the the House, uh, the, the the managers, the, the the essentially the attorneys who are arguing uh, against Trump, um, I felt like their audience is the Senate. But only like five percent of the audience is the Senate, right? They're they're really, I mean, really, their audience is about four or five senators who they're trying to convince, right? They they have to get a few senators to vote that yes, we need to hear witnesses. I mean, they're they're looking at sort of short term. They're focused on these handful of senators, but I feel like about ninety percent of their audience is history, right? I mean, they're making it. This is this is probably going to go the way everyone expects it to go. Trump is probably going to get. Uh, uh, not, he's not going to be convicted, um, but I can't help but think about Bill Clinton and and the the way that Bill Clinton, you know, he came out of this in the moment he he won, he was you know exonerated, and then I look at how history has sort of interpreted that and looked back on it. Even people who supported him at the time, who now sort of acknowledge or more wet readily what what happened and the you know the violations of of committing perjury and all of this other stuff. Um, and I feel like that's, you know, this is this is about precedent and, and what's going to happen in the long term. And I, I feel like that's the argument that that Adam Schiff and the others are making. Right. They're making this argument about the presidency and what should be allowed, even if they lose in this moment. There's this bigger argument to be made. Is that am I being too, uh, I don't know, uh, academic and head in the clouds about it? Or is that is there something to that? I I definitely feel that because I think about the way in which I'm not sure people are going to be tuning into it. 
I mean, you know, people may turn on the impeachment for a couple of minutes here or there, but I don't get the sense that the the American public is is waiting to hear what's said at this impeachment hearing because we know much of what already has been is going to be discussed there. So I, I had that feeling today as well that it, this is about history. This is about the significance of this you know, for the presidency as a whole, but not necessarily for Trump's presidency, because you're right, he's going to he's going to stick around. And even if they have witnesses, that's not going to it doesn't matter if Bolton or Mulvaney or Biden, Trump is going to survive this. So this is really about thinking about the presidency itself and and how we remember this so, moment over go time. Ahead. I, go ahead. Um, <clears throat> just, I, I guess real quick on that. I, I don't necessarily disagree with that point. Um, yeah, this is historic in the sense of it could, it's, you know, fundamentally in some way, in some fashion, changing the perception of the presidency. My issue with it is you had the levers to change the presidency your entire careers. Some of these people that have been there for decades. I, I understand that mm -hmm. this is exceptionally important, or especially from a democratic standpoint, it's exceptionally important. But you didn't do anything to stop overreach, presidential overreach, for any of the, the modern administration. So the fact that you're going to bring this forward with a case that is, I'll say, middling at best, doesn't necessarily seem to be the venue to make a stand, a philosophical stand when you're supposed to be holding a trial that is based on evidence and witnesses, which we're not going to call witnesses anyways, because that's stupid. Um, <laughs> I, I, I think that this this is the wrong way to make that sort of change. If you want to do it, do it from an inst institutional standpoint where you have all of the cards. You held all of the cards. But I, I, Congress, I just, you're saying. Congress, Congress yeah, yes. Yeah. I, I just, it doesn't, it makes no sense. I, I don't know if it's so much about the power of the presidency as it is the Trump presidency, right? So it's not that presidents overreach. It's the unique way that Trump has overreached that that is driving this impeachment. But but you're, you're right that it's not going to have an effect on presidents in the near future, but there will be discussions and historians will debate the way in which Trump has has violated the more traditional norms. Yeah, of the I, I think I, that's why I, that's what I think that's what I mean by this idea that this is a, a, a an argument for history. It's about you know twenty years from now when we look back, what are the lessons we've learned about Trump presidency, and hopefully some of the lessons are what you're referencing, Nick, about the need to actually you know rein in presidential power in in, in various ways. And so uh, you know that's this is back to the whole idea of you know setting norms and norm entrepreneurs and all of that. And I know I, I touch on that topic a lot, but it does feel important for that. I, I worry that people might view this as, you know, that this was, uh, you know, a setup from the, basically the outcome was, was uh, set from the beginning. And, and if, if Trump isn't convicted, that all of this that's happened is unimportant. I, I don't think that's true. This is all important, even if nothing comes of it in the sense of a, of a conviction. It, let me go back. To, go ahead. But isn't that a little sad, though? I mean, because we're not in the moment, we're not able to appreciate the gravity of this, whether it is a big deal or not a big deal, that we're just all going to move on and hope that his history judges this accordingly. But in the moment, we can't we can't assess the the threat or non-threat that the Trump presidency poses. And I'm guessing ratings for this are going to be pretty low. Most of the American public probably isn't going to let the, the hearings change their view. There's part of me that says this is not really a strength for the democracy that we're all just sort of sitting back and saying, oh, okay. 
No, I, I mean, I think it's the the ideological sorting that we've seen, especially mm-hmm. over the past few years. Um, I, I, you're right. I, I think histories or historians will look back on this 10, 20 years from now and have a very different opinion of it or have a, a more nuanced opinion of it. But if the underlying societal issues in terms of factionalization and tribalism don't change in the meantime, mm-hmm. I don't see that anybody's going to look back on this and go, well, maybe things could have been done differently. And, you know, we had a, a bad conception about this. We didn't have all the information. I think people are going to think that our team won and this is going to get worse and we're, or lost depending mm-hmm. on, on what we're talking about, because I don't see uh, members of Congress or members of the government stepping in to <clears throat> stop that sort of behavior from an institutional standpoint. That's why the Clinton impeachment is kind of interesting. And I'm glad you brought that up, Phil, because you're right. Democrats have had a reckoning of sorts over the last you know, five years or so with the legacy of Bill Clinton. And we'll talk about Hillary in a second. But I think there is some with time you're able to see things that in the moment partisanship doesn't allow you to appreciate. And and as time goes on, I think Bill Clinton's presidency will be judged very differently than when he left office. He left office with huge, you know, very high approval ratings and. Now, you know, I think that's that's dipping and I think history. There was will, a the, the daily the that New York Times podcast did a really interesting sort of look back at the Clinton uh, impeachment process. And, and there were so many interesting parallels that like you were talking about. I mean, the the arguments the Democrats made, they were arguing that, you know, it was a witch hunt and they were trying to undo an election. It was very similar in terms of the the, the types of arguments that were made that are being made now uh, for for Trump. But there were some interesting differences as well. Like the Senate, you know, the, the Senate was pretty unified in that they wanted a, you know, a, a sort of reasonable, they were, they were concerned about the reputation of the Senate. And so you had Republicans and Democrats who were working together to make it go smoothly. And it feels like the loyalty is not to the institution anymore. It's to the party, right? So you see it t- playing out totally different. There's not, you don't have right. uh, Republican and Democratic leaders working together to come up with, um, you know, the, what's best for the Senate or best for American institutions. And, and that, that's disheartening. Yeah. That's a really important point. I was reading something yesterday that said at the end of the Clinton impeachment, uh, the Democrat and Republican leader came to the front of the floor for something and they got a like a standing applause because of how they handled it. Everybody agreed on the rules. That's not even possible. I mean, no, John Roberts is reprimanding them at, at like midnight. Right. Well, John is tired, right? <laughs> but, <you> know, <laughs> no, but rightfully so. They're getting contentious and and ridiculous. And his point was. You need to respect the the institution that you're in and not yeah. sound like asshole. Yeah, I think that's fair. Although I also think that everybody's grumpy. I mean, these guys, they're all old. It's 1 a.m. or whatever. They're all, you know, that's just, mm-hmm. I, I'm less, I, I don't know. I, I, I totally believe in civility. And I think in this podcast. You're stupid, Bill. Shut that, up. But I also think that sometimes, <laughs> sometimes. Right. We get dumb fucking thing to say. We get so caught up in that that we're like, oh, you know, that they used and again, both both sides used inappropriate language. I don't know. I yeah, John. In terms of history, watching John Roberts, watching all of them be in this institution is also really, like you said, Phil, fascinating. So I, I want to go back to something you said earlier, which was uh, that, um, well, even at the beginning, you were talking about how this could potentially go for six weeks if they if they do have witnesses. And uh, so, I mean, I, 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 the analogy that I keep thinking of is, you know, the, the Democrats are trying to win, right? But it, to compare it to like football, you got to get the first down first, right? So they're trying to get the 10 yards. They're trying to get, uh, um, you know, they, they need a couple of people to vote, a couple of Republicans you know, three or four Republicans to, to, to vote 
to bring in witnesses after this plays out. You were saying that, you know, even witnesses, even Bolton and all of this other stuff won't change the outcome. Um, is there something that would? So so if, if, you know, if the Democrats can move the ball a little, right, they can convince Susan Collins and Mitt Romney and Lamar Alexander that, hey, you know, that to not have witnesses seems silly. So let's have witnesses. And so they bring in witnesses. Um, you know, we haven't we haven't heard from from Bolton. We haven't heard from Mulvaney. We haven't heard from some of these people. Is there anything that would be explosive enough in their testimony that the people who went into this, you know, locked as I'm, you know, I'm not going to convict Trump. Is there something that could switch that as what happened with with uh, Nixon, right? The people who were absolutely not on board, then as more evidence comes out it in this era of partisanship, it's harder for me to see. But I, I, there must be something, right? I, <clears throat> from my perspective, I, I don't think that anything that they say, unless it is just some bonkers, earth shattering stuff that we have no conception of yet, um, that they give us <clears throat> would change the inevitable outcome of this. But, <clears throat> excuse me, going back to our earlier discussion, I think that would effectively, if there was something like that, do a tremendous amount to change the mind of the overall electorate mm -hmm. uh, and influence the the election. Um, and if you want to talk about, <clears throat> you know, presidential power and, you know, the the fairness of the system and norms and, and reinforcing norms. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I think that would go a long way to doing it. I don't think there's anything that's going to change what's going to happen over the next few weeks. What's interesting about this whole case is that we kind of know all of the facts already. And the one argument that has been put out there is we haven't heard from the inner circle, but the the second circle, those around those, power, those people, right? They've all said so. We know what happened. I mean, and Trump even has acknowledged. I mean, basically, you know, it was he, you know, he wanted an investigation of the Bidens for political reasons. We know all of this. We're not idiots. So Bolton may come in and say, "Yeah, that was the plan," and I was against it. I don't know. If suddenly Republicans are going to say, oh, my God, this I couldn't I can't. No, you right. don't. You know, the, all the Republicans know that what Trump did was inappropriate. They're not willing to say so publicly because for political reasons. So I, I don't know, Phil. I don't know if there's anything else that would come out in the trial about this instance. Now, there may be other things about Trump, but I don't know if they're going to come out in this in, in this investigation that would be relevant. The the only, I mean, the other aspect of this is if, I think this is part of the strategy as well. I, the, I think the democratic strategy during rules was interesting because they, they kept, you know, they, 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 uh, proposed all sorts of amendments to subpoena documents and people. And, and they were arguing rules, but they were arguing substance. They used this chance when the you know all sorts of people are tuned in. It's the first day they're they're putting this you know again, and they're also speaking to those four or five senators. The polls are now that something like fifty one. The last few polls that have come out, it's over fifty percent of Americans that support the removal of Donald Trump from office, the conviction and removal from office. Um, I think that's where if they can draw this out and they can have those sorts of it goes back to not just the I think it is about the election. If you can get John Bolton and others to testify and it stays in the news and it's a headline and and, and whatnot, um, that changes public opinion, which affects the election. But that also is what could potentially affect the outcome of the trial. That's like a really, really long shot. Right. But if, if enough Americans, you know, get fired up, if that goes from 50 percent to 65 percent, um, then, you know, who knows where it goes.
all of this is, you know, well, some to some think- extent, you know, a fairy tale, right? It's very, very, very unlikely that that happens. We're likely done in two, in ten days, but, but, right? Well, but again, the Trump presidency is a unique thing. Think about, I mean, Nancy Pelosi got hit for delaying, you know, sending the impeachment articles over to the Senate. But in that time frame, suddenly Lev Parnas comes out and, and he's sharing all sorts of sordid details. So the longer this drags out, I think it, the worse it is for Trump. You know, wrap it up, move on to something else. The more we're talking about this, the more there's the potential of somebody to testify he all of his scandals rap move on right but i mean you, uh, really they held all the cards like they didn't have to bring forward these articles right. right now you could have dragged this out and you could have you know tried to enforce the subpoenas and gone to court and and done this if your if your main goal was to preserve and protect the institutions and you know not necessarily this isn't you know not not i'm not saying it's a witch hunt but the perception is that it's a witch hunt and you just want it done and you want it done expediently and way before the election so you know we can have a, a um a significantly different outcome than one most people expect you you, you just didn't have to do this mm-hmm. and you're kind of coming at this half cocked like i i i'm i'm not saying that their argument doesn't have some merit to it but you could have had a tremendously strong case if you just played this out but this was this was obviously a politically calculated move and not institutionally an institutionally based move or a mix of both. Right. I mean, you know, they're thinking about the institution, but you're absolutely right. They're being driven by the political ramifications of this Trump today. He came out. So in Davos, he said he was interviewed and asked a question about it. And he said, I can't believe he says all the things out loud. He said, (laughs) we have all the information. They have none. Like, that's so incriminating when you say that, right? Yeah. You, know, hey, you didn't subpoena me. Right. Or you he's didn't try to enforce a subpoena. You yeah. know, he's got, and that's the reality of this is we're having this impeachment inquiry where there is a lot of information to Phil's earlier point that we just don't know. I don't know if any of it would dramatically change things, but there are, you know, documents, it individuals. But you wanted shit done. Yes, I, I do think that, you know, the Democrats, if they had waited too long, right. this could have dragged people, all the way into, you know, people were already yeah. criticizing the Democrats for taking matter. so long with the impeachment. Why are the he- hearings getting getting dragged out? That, that, I mean, that. All right. So is it an existential crisis because Trump is an existential crisis or is this an existential crisis because the institutions are under attack? If it's the institutions themselves, I don't care how long it takes. Mm-hmm. You're trying to come up with significant evidence to get rid of a sitting president. I feel like that should take more time than this did. And I get why, you know, you're you're scared about what public opinion would be. But you've been talking about for for months at this point that it's not about public opinion. It's about this president and, you know, preserving the institutions and whatnot. You can't have it both ways. So do your jobs and do it completely or you can't complain then when your case isn't strong enough. It's a tough case because you have to think about the the again, it's politics. So it's not your traditional criminal case in court where you can get access to information. There's no telling what you can get access to. And Trump could have played this out and dragged things out almost to the election. Mm -hmm. Um, So, you know, again, I I think the the Democrats made a strategic choice. It may turn out to be dumb. dumb But here's the thing. I don't know if any of that new information would have changed what we know already. I mean, we know the nature of the the request. We know that he was putting pressure on it. We've got a lot of data for that. Additional data would just reinforce that. So John Bolton, if he testifies, he'll say the same thing that we already know. Although it might be, I mean, I would love to see Bolton. They're talking about a 
a Bolton Biden trade. Hunter Biden testifies in John Bolton. Oh, God, I'd love I, to I'd see take that, that, right? I mean, I just to, just to hear John Bolton give his perspective, which will be nothing what we expect. You know, there's there's no guarantees that he's going to toe the Democratic line. There's, it's yeah. more likely that he'll support the Republicans. So can we talk about Dershowitz, Dershowitz's yes. argument? That, like, realistically, and I'm really curious about this, and I don't know if you guys have a better um, understanding of it than I do. What what does it take to meet the standards of abuse of power or obstruction of Congress? We're talking about a trial, right? There have to be some sort of standards. No, no, no. right. I mean, nothing. That's, it's the, just the Senate, nothing. The Senate gets to basically set those standards mm-hmm. uh, on how we understand that and how we interpret that. And this is bullshit. <laughs> well, no, I mean, the idea is that, that we put our trust in this institution to weigh the conduct of the president and make a decision, obviously, with political elements part of that. You know, Dershowitz's argument to me, and I will say this, like the it's 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 yes. far out there, wouldn't you say, Phil? I mean, most legal scholars reject this idea. I mean, both conservative and liberal scholars. Bill Barr, uh, the current attorney general, has rejected the idea that uh, you can't charge a president with obstruction of justice. He's written a memo to say that, you know, this is something you need to worry about. But Dershowitz is politically appealing to, a, you know, to the cable news networks, and, and he's well-spoken. He'll do a good job making that argument. He got OJ off. He's, got, he's the best. <laughs> it's just a garbage argument, I think. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> the, 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 the nature – again, I'm not, I, I'm not an expert in the, in the founders, but my understanding of, of, of the founders was that that was the whole idea of impeachment, was that you could – the, the purpose was to remove a, a president based on political charges. The idea was that th- this is a political offense and it's a political punishment, right? You don't, we don't convict the president and send him to prison. We, we convict the president uh, of political, you know, doing something politically wrong, abusing power, using it for his own, you know, benefit, whatever. And the pe- penalty is also political, right? This is the um, uh, because the the penalty is you get removed from office, you don't go to prison. Um, and so I, I think that's that is the whole idea. I think that's where he he's making this argument. I understand the the logic behind it is that you have to, you know, there has to be a crime. If there's not a crime, you can't convict the president. But that wasn't what the there. All the evidence is that that is not what the founders had in mind. And we could have a discussion about whether or not we put want to put our faith in the legislature to to hold this power to remove a president or not. But that's the way it's currently set up, right? I mean, there are other ways to to do it, but this is this is how you know our quote unquote beloved constitution sets it up. And if we think about the power of the presidency, if we say it's okay for a president to abuse power. And that the only way we can hold him accountable is elections. That's a dramatic development and shift in terms of the imperial presidency. Yeah, I, I, I don't, I don't buy the argument one bit. But I, I fully anticipate Dershowitz will be very, very compelling in his explanation of it, and the fact that he goes on and on about how he is a liberal Democrat, and it's only his his belief in the Constitution that allows him to defend Trump, which I think is also kind of weird and creepy. Um, I, I don't know what's going on with Dershowitz. I think he loves the camera in the same way that Trump does. And we should say that there are better constitutional scholars than Ken Starr and Alan Dershowitz. This is not the best conservative legal dream team he could find. I wonder whether this is the only legal dream team he could find. Because there are, I mean, there are a lot of really, really good scholars. We saw them in the House testimony. They brought somebody forward who was really, really good. Um, well, 
this is somewhat revealing of, of Trump. The types of people who are, it matches up with the types of people who tend to orbit around Trump in general, right? People who are attracted to, you know, the spotlight and, and to the, you know, the the the, the proximity to power. And I mean, it, it just it, it fits with that, right? They're not necessarily the best, uh, but they are, uh, you know, of a certain type. Yeah, <laughs> I, I mean, <clears throat> I, I for one, I. I get that at some point and relatively, you know, recently, you should trust the institutions to make these calls. I don't think any or a, a, a majority of the American public trust these institutions, especially the legislature, to make these kinds of choices anymore, um, which is partly due to the way that they operate and how they've been complicit in factionalizing um, the electorate in general. Um, I just don't understand why you would trust a legislature to do this when one, the Senate you think is a, a rigged game. And then prior to that, the house was rigging it in their, in their own, you know, in their own way. I, I just, I, it, it just, it makes no sense to me. And I feel like there should, there needs to be some sort of significantly more concrete standards when it comes to impeaching a president. You want to talk about, you know, the, the only way that, um, you know, you admonish or, or remove a president, um, you know, not a, a remove a president, but um, um, if he's, you know, uh, or, or remove him at, at the ballot boxes is ridiculous. But what other lever do people have at this point? Like, I, 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 I Half the country doesn't agree with what's going on. There, so partisanship is will be driving this process, but I think there are going to be consequences. We'll see this play out in the the twenty twenty election, and we don't know how that'll play out. But it, it, this visual will have an impact on that. Uh, Trump's legacy will be impacted because of this, and I think you're you're right in the sense that it's not it's not the way that we would like the legal process to play out. But I think it it is still. Cathartic. I think it's still important for both sides to be able to have this experience. I mean, I, I really do think that if Republicans could have avoided this, they would have preferred that. This is not good for the Trump presidency. Um, I think it's probably not going to play well for him in the election. I think Phil talked about the, you know, those who are voting for or the polls that are so, showing that in, in in a number of swing states, those supporting removal is higher than uh, his approval ratings, right? And that, that's bad news for the Trump campaign. So there will be ramifications down the road from this. Maybe, maybe. Yeah, we'll, we'll see. We'll, we'll, we'll see. see. Yeah. I, 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 in my opinion, it's going to be a, a whatever, 49.5 to a <clears throat> 50.5. Is that right? It could be. Sounds good. Good math. Good no, math. that's wrong. Yeah. Bad math, bad math. <laughs> Either way. But the um, historians, Nick. There's going to the be one point. No. Yeah, well, you know what? And we talk about this all the time. We want to talk about this from an intellectual standpoint. Let's talk about it from a societal standpoint. This is going to come down to a one percentage point difference in the electorate. And it's going to come down to the the um, the Wisconsin, electoral college. Wisconsin. No, it, it just is. That's where we are. We think you would say this is going to be cathartic. This is tearing people apart. This is tearing society apart. I don't know if the impeachment is tearing society apart. No, as no, much no, as not like the impeachment. This, whole, this is this yeah. this process, this just toxic yeah. mess that we've gotten ourselves into isn't going to stop with this. And this isn't going to be a moment where we reflect and go, you know, we really learned something and, no, and, and well, no, grew no. beyond. Yeah, no, 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 this right. is going this is 
only serving to turn people against each other. And we've talked about this before. Even if Trump is defeated in 2020, that this continues for years, right? This is going to be an ugly stain on the American democracy for a while. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Stupid. We should talk beer. Yeah, probably do that. Phil, tell us about your beer and the mouthfeel <laughs> that it's giving you. Uh, so I, I am, I'm actually having a homebrew uh, tonight. So I, I, one of my students um, brought me a homebrew. It's a white IPA. I, have you ever had a white IPA before? It's not something I had heard of, actually. No, no, I don't think we've it's had that. From either. from my reading about it, it's this. It's a, a sort of a merging of uh, like a Belgian white beer and um, and an IPA. So you've got the and I and it in the taste. It's got the sort of citrusy hoppiness of an IPA, but it's got a little bit more of that kind of spiciness of like a you know. Of of a, of a Belgian white beer. Um, mm -hmm. It's really good. I, it's, I'm really, I mean, if this is, I can't give you a name or tell you where to go get it. So I, I can give, you know, a big thanks to Jack Sutherland and his family for making this for me. Um, it's, it's really nice. It makes me want to go out and try some other white IPAs. Ooh, that's, mm -hmm. uh, we should find some of those. Yeah. That's middle good. right, middle left, middle center. <laughs> all over. Back, we're all over. Need a diagram. Yeah, okay. okay. <laughs> <laughs> Nick. That's going to be the she's going to get Phil's tongue shirt. Yes. Oh, that's a good tongues. one. I like yeah. that. Yeah. <laughs> Nick, what, what are we enjoying? Oh, my God. Where, where's the thing? The bottom's oh, over there. Oh, man. I can't so many slide. Wires. You got to go. I'll fall out of my chair. So it's um, we, we had a, a meet from yes. uh, Bee Nectar. And it's called Kill All the Golfers. And it's which is the, the Caddyshack thing. Yeah. It's got the it's got the gopher on there and sunglasses on a golf cart. This is. They used to have this locally at a couple of the bars around here. I would follow this thing around all the time. And whenever they got rid of it, I got really, really sad. And I haven't been able to find it anywhere. This is so friggin' good. Oh, it's like a um like uh, an Arnold Palmer, but a sweet, a, mm -hmm. a, a pretty sweet. It's yeah, but it's not mean. too sweet. Not though. too sweet. Yeah. I think the 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 citrus and the the tea kind of balance it out. It's kind of a flat sweetness where it's yes. not. Yeah, it doesn't hit your tongue in the front. It's it's more of kind of in the back. Phil, that'll help him. <laughs> um, yeah, it's not uh, it's not super heavy. It's like six yeah. percent, something like that. It's if you if you haven't had mead before, start with this. It's it's so good. It, it really was. Yeah. And and I just picked it up because I like the I like the label. It was fantastic. Mm -hmm. It was, you know, very drinkable, but, you know, just just sweet enough. I mean, I, I haven't had a mead in a long time. And that we were talking about before we, we started taping. We'll have to go buy the rest of those. because yes. it's, it's very, very good. Yeah. yeah. Bill yeah. took that out of the bag and I whimpered. It's appropriate <laughs> that y'all are drinking mead because you're both also eating turkey legs as we sit here. That's true. I'm going to put my Renfair costume on it's, after that. It's very messy. Mm -hmm. <laughs> oh, my God. Are we going to skip that? Or are we going to skip what? Oh, uh, yeah. We'll save that. Save that next beer for okay. next week. Yeah. <laughs> um, speed rounds then. Yeah. Do you want to do You got to do the untap thing. Oh, though. I got to do yeah. the untap thing. Come I on, Nick. My own thing. Yeah. <laughs> Anyways, if you guys want to check out our uh, our reviews of what we have on the podcast, um, uh, Check out Untapped, which you can download on iOS or Android and look for Barstool Politics on there and you will find all of our reviews. All right. Speed round. Jesus. <laughs> He's looking at a clipboard with, with a He's flashlight so on his phone, like a 70 year old in a restaurant. It's a little hard to read, Nick. Yeah. 
<laughs> All right. So Hillary Clinton launched a major attack against Bernie Sanders this week saying, quote, nobody likes him. Nobody wants to work with him. He got nothing done. He was a career politician. It's all just baloney. She used the word baloney, Nick. And I feel so bad people got sucked into it. And similar to our so it's similar to our discussion last week of the growing growing feud between Elizabeth Warren and Sanders, Clinton repeatedly alluded to allegations of sexism against San, the Sanders campaign. And while Clinton claims she will do anything to defeat Trump in 2020, she declined to say she would endorse or campaign for Bernie if he were the nominee. Phil, this could just be sour grapes or it could be reflective of a broader desire amongst the heavy hitters within the Democratic Party to see Sanders sidelined and go away. Uh, this is two weeks in a row that Sanders is under attack facing allegations of sexism in his campaign. What's your read on this? Um, so there's so many reads on this. <laughs> um, I, I, so I think that, you know, is it sour grapes or is it reflective of a, of a desire amongst kind of the mainstream party to make Bernie go away? Yes. The answer is both. Um, I think this is an example of both yeah. things can be true. Um, this is where I, I know that we have people who listen, who love Hillary Clinton. Um, but I, this is, she, this is, she's not doing any favors to anyone. I mean, this is the, she's regardless of how individual people feel about her, she's not popular. She's got like a 30% approval rating. Like she's people, she is not <laughs> yeah. a beloved figure amongst the broader American population. And in, in the lead up to a, a, a presidential election in the midst of the primary to throw this into that, to, to take a shot at one of the top candidates it's just I, I, this, the contrast between Republicans and Democrats is really interesting. You know, Trump was somebody who many or most people in the Republican Party were not happy about. But we've talked about before how Republicans fall in line and Democrats fall in love. I can totally see it happening. People who, you know, with Trump, people hated Trump but they were willing to support to vote for him because he was the Republican and Democrats are going to get caught up in this pettiness and they're going to be, you know, whoever gets nominated, there's going to be people who are going to have hurt feelings and be pissed off. And that's going to undermine the democratic party. The idea that she would not say she could say, I have issues with Bernie Sanders, but if he's the nominee, 100% am I behind him and supporting him because that's what we do as a party. She's not, she's not doing that. And it's, I, I, I can already see it happening that as, as the, as a nominee is chosen, amongst the Democratic Party, the, this infighting is going to play out in a way that's going to screw screw the Democrats over. Because <laughs> <laughs> that's what she should have done, right? She should have said, I have major concerns with Bernie, but if he's the nominee, absolutely, I will vote and campaign for him because, you know, he's a better candidate than Trump. I mean, that would have been easy and made this, you know, not or, as big or of a just story. Don't, yeah. Just don't even no, say she, anything because people already assume that she doesn't like right. him, right? So you don't have right. to say anything. <laughs> if you don't want to express support for Bernie, then just don't say a thing and everyone will assume it. Anyway, go ahead, Nick. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You mean the woman who conspired with CNN to, to uh, uh, sideline his campaign after they uh, gave her all the uh, uh, debate questions beforehand? Is that the, the woman we're talking about? That's Hillary. Yes. That's yeah, that? yeah, yeah, OK, yeah. I just want to make sure. Um, yeah, she's a monster. Yeah, she just sounds like a, a, a bitter, just shitty politician. I, I just I, what what strikes me about her as time goes on. Um, she sounds more and more like Trump, but isn't effective at using the messaging in a way to galvanize people in one direction, which I think, uh, I, again, to your point, Phil, is kind of the nature of the Democratic Party. She's uh, I just 
I, I cannot fathom why she would keep opening her mouth. And, and really, in the back of my head, I, 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 I think there's part of me that goes, she's going to try and make another run. She's she's no. going to get back. Yeah, Palpatine is going to get back into the race. It's going to be really, really unpleasant. But I, I kind of hope she does. It would be very entertaining for me. You're both right. The only the only thing I wonder about is, is it possible that she is... She's the only one who can say this about Bernie at this point, right? Elizabeth Warren can't go that far. Nobody else is, 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 are the Democrats behind the scenes telling her to go after Bernie, make that attack? Uh, because she's not wrong. Right. Bernie isn't a team player. Bernie doesn't really care right. about the Democrats as a whole. You know, Bernie, there's some truth to the fact that his ideas are powerful, but Bernie's not a guy who gets things done, right? I mean, no. you, you listen to Bernie, you say you've got a good understanding of things, but in Congress, he hasn't led a lot of legislation. So I wonder, I, 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 maybe not, but I wonder whether people behind the scenes are saying you're the one who can, you know, people already hate you. You're the one who can make this critique and put this out there. That, that may be the only explanation. But, but because... But because she's so divisive, that's that true, undermines right? yeah. her as a messenger. I think I, that's where I, I, you could the the idea. It, it's the approach that's taken. I mean, if she wanted to come out, it's not uncommon for former politicians to or former candidates to it wouldn't be unheard of for them to endorse someone, right? So she could come out and endorse, you know, Elizabeth Warren or endorse Joe Biden or whatever. But to come out and 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 just to take a shot at Bernie. I, I, you're right. I mean, Bernie is, you know, he's curmudgeonly. He's not, he's, he has never been a Democrat. He's an independent. He lines up with the Democratic Party, but he's not a team player. Um, and, and people who like him, yeah. that's one of the things they like about him, right? He's not, he's not playing party politics. He's doing what he believes in. Um, but uh, yeah, I mean, I, I don't think that if, if, if it wouldn't, I think there are probably, uh, there's no doubt that there are establishment Democrats who are unhappy about Bernie um, doing as well as he is. Although we could, or we could debate that, that he's, I could argue that he's not actually doing all that well. Um, but uh, there's, there's yeah, just, yeah. there's better messengers, right? It's, and it, this just, this just digs up old tensions and rivalries and it doesn't serve anyone. It doesn't serve Bernie. It doesn't serve the Democrats. It doesn't, no one comes out better. It, it, who it yeah. serves is yeah. Donald Trump. I, 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 I don't think it's members of the party that are doing this. I think she's doing it of her own volition and she just thinks that she is the right messenger for mm -hmm. this stuff, which I find hilarious. And is also the Clintons, right? I mean, that's right. kind of how the Clintons operate. Yeah. And just a side note, the more and more I watch Curb Your Enthusiasm, Bernie Sanders just is Larry David. Oh, it's, it's in the way so that true. He acts and New his, his policies oh. and whatnot. <laughs> Well, and Hillary does have a, there's a documentary coming out that she's oh, got. So, I mean, there's, so there, there's, there are self-interested reasons. And that has always been my critique of the Clintons. Like they, there's a lot of good that comes with them. And then there's always this baggage along the side that undermines the good. What the hell are you talking about? What, what good? Oh, you know, Bill did a lot of good. Bill did a lot of good for all. Okay, came women. from Hope, Arkansas. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And uh, just one final yeah. note. Uh, Hillary's getting sued by Tulsi Gabbard for calling her a Russian agent. So a Russian asset, I should say. So cheers to that. Those two going at it in a sort of legal fight could be really fascinating. Oh, they they deserve each other. So. Mm -hmm. All right. <laughs> Again. Democrats, yes. you know, in a in a circular, uh, you know, firing squad yeah. while Trump does his. <laughs> That's thing. right. It's yeah, really. It's just everything is shaping up for them to. Yeah. be. Just, Although yeah. I, I do wonder, I mean, we have these flare ups. I think at the end of the day, it's not going to be that big of a deal, but it's still a stupid move. Yeah. <laughs>
All right, Nick, did you know that pizza's a vegetable again? Yeah. Yeah. Four square a day. Time to talk about school lunches, everybody. On Friday, the Trump administration loosened regulations governing school meals that were implemented under former President Barack Obama. The administration's target? Fresh vegetables and fruit. The current meal regulations were established under the Health... Healthy Hungry Free Kids Act of 2010, spearheaded by former First Lady Michelle Obama. That law set new standards for school meals for students in grades K through 12 to ensure that children were receiving more vegetables, fruits, whole grain, rich foods, and fat-free milk. For example, the law required students to have fruit with every single, with every school breakfast and mandated schools to set amount of variety of vegetables that included both leafy greens and starchy what plants. What school gives breakfast? Well, a lot of them do. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, it's, it's, it's a growing thing. So the Trump administration has argued that the Obama air rules are leading to high cost and rampant food waste. They announced the plan on uh, last Friday, which just happened to be Michelle Obama's birthday. The administration is seeking to introduce more a la carte items like hamburgers in the hopes that this will lead to less food waste. Phil, hard to argue with the science here. Hamburgers are delicious and as healthy as it gets. So what's your read of what's going on here? <laughs> Um, this is, this is dumb. Um, (laughs) I mean, so my read on this is that this has to be interpreted in the larger kind of partisan culture wars. Like there's not some super powerful tomato sauce lobby behind this, right? This is not something that, that makes, um, we got the name of the episode. There 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 are some policy changes that you can trace to, you know, there's some reason why this is playing out. This just feels like an example of, and, and you know, I think there's some of this to both to both sides, but there's a lot of Trump, right? A lot of Trump, the Trump approach to politics that is sort of a, I'm going to stick it to you just because I want to stick it to you, right? It's not necessarily that I care all that much about the issue. It's because you care about this issue that I'm going to do this. Um, and this just feels straight out of that school, right? That it's just that, you know, that who, who cares, right? Like <laughs> who wants to loosen restrictions on, on healthy food for kids? Like that's anyway, it, it's just, it's a, it's not that people actually want it loosened. It's that Democrats care so much about healthy food or healthy eating or whatever, that that's why we're mm-hmm. going to do this. I, I mean, realistically, I'd like to see the statistics about food waste at yes. schools, which realistically I think is, is, is a good argument to make because re- it's, I think if they were, again, I I go back to this a lot, if they were smarter with their messaging, this could easily be, this is a program that was was put in place with good intentions, but, you know, the the statistics behind it prove that we end up wasting more food than is, or wasting a significant amount of food that, you know, should be utilized somewhere else. Um, We're going to deregulate this and find a better way to do it. In the meantime, we're going to go back to the original standards and, you know, you should have at least three hamburgers a day. That's reasonable. That's reasonable. And you don't do that on (laughs) Michelle Obama's birthday, right? Well, I mean, you know, it's just it's circumstantial. Maybe it was National Hamburger Day. You don't know. And I ate a pizza every single day of high school and I turned out fine. (laughs) So food waste is a legitimate issue, right? And as, as a dad who packs a couple lunches a day, that includes an orange and some carrots. And I'm I'm quite certain that orange and carrots go directly into the garbage, right. right? You know, this is a problem. But then the question is, what's the greater problem? Food waste or America health, America's health, right? And I, I think the reality is that the health epidemic is a bigger concern than the fact that we're throwing a few apple slices away. <sighs> yeah. 
does Donald Trump really care for throwing away fruit? I mean, that's kind of what he wants to do, right? No. He wants to throw away more fruit. No, but his supporters do care about deregulation. And right. they see this yeah. as overreach from the Democrats. Yeah. I, I don't know. This seems like, I think to Phil's point, this is petty. It doesn't really matter. I, I, I would. I, you're right. I would like to see some data on this. And if there was good data, we could probably move in a more positive direction to say, okay, what fruits work? What vegetables work? You know, where do we see it? Do educational programs help with with introducing a healthier diet? There, there are ways to solve this other than let's go back to hamburgers, right? You know, bring in the hamburger black. Know, this is how we're going to solve delicious. things. I, I really don't see the problem with this. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's it's I, I can, you know, again, going back to the the actual data would probably be the most important. But the only argument you need to really make, especially from a Republican, you know, talking point um, is this is a, a government-run program or a, 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 a uh, government overreach in terms of influencing, you know, your your children's daily lives. Um, and there's not a lot of thought behind the bureaucratic machinations behind it. So we throw money at the problem. Somebody fixes it or, you know, throws uh, assets and materiel at it. And we think it's solved without any regard for efficiency or saving you tax dollars. So I don't know. I, I would but, say that. It's, so yeah. go ahead. I mean, this is where this is where, again, Republicans are good at making these sort of talking points and Democrats are less good at it because the question, if it's a question of regulation and government telling you what you can serve in, in school lunches, they've been doing that forever. And rolling this back doesn't change that. There are still all sorts of limits on what you can serve in a school lunch about how much you can serve, what you can and can't serve. You know, you can't have poison and razor blades and like there's all sorts of health basic health standards <laughs> right beyond beyond the sort of nutritional standards right there are all sorts of fda requirements about how the food is grown. the government is a part of your life every time you eat food that is the way it is um and and republicans are really good at framing this in a in a like stupid democrats making you eat leafy greens but it's not it's not about regulation, right? It's not because because regulation is there. It is always there. Regulate governmental involvement in food and what is served in schools is there, whether you're eating pizza or whether you're eating salad. Phil Barker was on fire in this topic. He yes. talked about the tomato sauce lobby <laughs> and the fact that you can't have razor blades in your lunch. I mean, I think that needs to be the next step. We need to take razor blades and poison off of the food pyramid. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's that's a good place to wrap. That, that was a good made one. Me laugh. Yeah. All right. So while we're all concerned about the impeachment trial, another fascinating trial is playing out in Guantanamo Bay. The architect of the CIA's Bush Air inter interrogation program, who personally waterboarded the man accused of masterminding the September 11th attack, testified for the first time to the war court on Tuesday. He defiantly faced multiple defendants who had been subject to his methods. James E. Mitchell, a formal con uh, contract uh, psychologist for the intelligence agency who helped develop the government's uh, euphemistically called en enhanced interrogation techniques, appeared in court as a witness confronting five men who had been subject to elements of his, his techniques. I'm sorry, program of violence. Sleep deprivation and humiliation. Among them was Khalid Sheikh Mohammed, who was charged with leading the planning for September 11th attacks and was waterboarded 183 times by a team, including Dr. Mitchell. I think the 184th time would have really done it. Yeah, I think that's, it was that's, just. That's, yeah. 
you got to stick with it. Um, <laughs> yes. <laughs> They're seeking to have their court, uh, their case thrown out as evidence, as statements made by, to the FBI after coming to Guantanamo Bay. That's a horrible thought. <laughs> saying that their interrogations in CIA custody had conditioned them to tell their captors uh, what they wanted to hear. Phil, we don't spend much time talking about enhanced interrogation techniques anymore, but this trial shows that hi- history can be sticky and inconvenient. This is a really interesting case. What's your reaction to it? Before no, I think do that. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Before we do that, hold on. Yeah. Do you think as he was going in there before waterboarding out in the hallway, he had the the uh, the poster on the wall with the kitten on the branch that said, hang in there, baby? <laughs> maybe, maybe. I think they got a bunch of I those. I was laughing in, in my head. Anyways, go ahead. A bunch of those in Gitmo. <laughs> um, I, so the, the part of this that I find interesting is, is what comes up oftentimes, and we've talked about this with, with Tom uh, sometimes, when it, when you're dealing with a legal issue, oftentimes the the issue itself, the, the person raising the issue is not a particularly sympathetic person. And so the right. the, the, the the arguments that they are, that the, the detainees are making about how these techniques didn't work in that they basically made them want to just tell the the interrogators whatever they wanted to hear. Oh, that's what the science shows, right? That's what the research shows, that, that these techniques are good at essentially breaking someone's will and getting them to do whatever you want. They're not necessarily good at getting people to tell the truth. Um, uh, and so, you know, the this is this is one of those interesting aspects. It's also where we uh, there's this history, there's this element of American history in which we go through these things and then quickly move on. Right. We don't want to deal with it. We don't want to focus focus on the sort of ugly history. It, the Nixon, you know, we were talking impeachment earlier. This is it's the Nixon thing where we sort of pardon Nixon and move on rather than actually having this discussion and debate and having a trial and, and actually talking about it. And so. Yeah, I mean, this is this is uh, I, I wish that this were getting as much attention as some of the other stuff in the news, because um, it's it's an aspect of, of of our recent history that we haven't wrestled with, that we haven't, you know, reckon come to come to a reckoning with. Yeah, I get another story where history is going to play out. Mm-hmm. Nick, <clears throat> um, this is an interesting one for me, um, I, I think, on the whole. Um, to your point, Phil, the enhanced uh, interrogation program didn't necessarily work as intended and, and torture in general doesn't necessarily work. Um, having said that, I, I I think the slippery slope argument in terms of, you know, we allow this to happen as a, you know, representative democracy that's for human rights and you know, we can't allow this and what if this were or if these were our citizens or or you know just kind of the general population that was uh being subjected to this yeah that's 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 problematic problematic to me but from a norm standpoint i don't think they're going to do that so i'm going to go with the norm on this one and say these people were monsters and i don't really give a shit if they were tortured and that's what i that's my final point on this (laughs) A few years back, so I took a group of students over to Europe, and we did this uh, tour of European human rights courts. And we were in Strasbourg, France, at the European Court of Human Rights, when the court was hearing a case against Poland for allowing the United States to have black sites um, in Poland. Mm-hmm. And so it was a fascinating case. And we were there in between the trials. It was a great experience for the students. We're outside, and outside of these two U.S military men and i start chatting them up and they are there they they were the lawyers for khalid sheikh muhammad 
Mm-hmm. And so they were there just to kind of gather evidence and be part of this. And so we started talking and they talked to me and then they talked to the students about this whole experience. And it was really fascinating because they were saying, you know, you know, we believe in everything about the United States, but what has happened to these detainees is terrible and awful, right? You may think that Kalichik, Muhammad, and all these guys are monsters, but they're also people, right? And that's the side that we see. And the legal system has to treat people equally. You know, whether you're a monster or not, like the process has to play out fairly. And what happened to these individuals, some were guilty, clearly guilty, but some were also innocent. And a lot of them had these techniques used against them that are clearly torture. And it's it's a legacy and it's a stain on the United States because long term, we're going to have to keep Guantanamo Bay open. You know, these trials are basically a, a scam because we can't have a real case because all of this evidence would be thrown out. Any other real case, you can't use... You know, you can't use information gathered by torture. So it, it compromises who we are to confront an enemy that we said was, you know, was terrible. I, I guess that's that's my my two cents on it. I, you know, the solution is to a lot of this. Have Congress do something about it. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Stop uh, 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 re uh, re-upping the uh, the Patriot Act. Yep. <laughs> it's just, it, all this legislation in the aftermath of 9-11 went through them. Yep. Uh, and realistically, through the Obama administration, too. Oh, and, yeah. and, and they continue to do it through the Trump administration, regardless of what you're talking about, institutional norms and the strength of democracy and human rights and all that happy horseshit that just you don't you don't we have really a, believe. We have a good legal system that can handle terrorists. And when we go outside of that system, it compromises that system as a whole. And I think that's what we saw from the beginning of you know, the post 9-11 administration, you're right, it went through the Obama administration, we thought, we'll try to go outside of it. And it, and it is, it, it harms us in in terrible ways. Mm-hmm. Uh, terrorists. Yeah. Fuck All right. <laughs> All right. So let's, let's come back to the United States and talk about Bloomberg. So if you've turned on a TV or been on the internet the last couple of days, uh, there is a 100% chance you've seen a campaign ad from Michael Bloomberg. The candidate has spent $217 million so far on television and digital advertising, mostly ignoring the Democratic primaries and squarely squarely challenging President Trump. The total is roughly three quarters of the amount spent by all other campaigns, including Trump's combined. In doing so, Bloomberg's big spending ad campaign has made campaigning more expensive for everyone else. It could also provide benefits to Democrats around the country uh, as his ads have pushed issues that are critical to the party, like health care, climate change and relentlessly attacking Donald Trump. Bloomberg has secured a 60-second advertising spot uh, to air nationally during the Super Bowl at a cost of nearly $10 million. That's a lot of money, Nick. <laughs> Hours after learning of Bloomberg's plans, President Trump re-election campaign said that it, too, had reserved 60 seconds worth of advertising time during the game for roughly the same amount. Phil, what is Bloomberg up to? Does he have a legitimate chance in the Democratic primary, or is he just run out of other ways to spend his billions and billions of dollars? Um, this is a good question. I don't know what he's up to. Um, I, there's an interesting yeah. thing he and Steyer have both been doing, which is uh, neither one of them really stands a chance in Iowa and New Hampshire. And they have started focusing on the secondary, the next phase of states, Nevada and, and uh, South Carolina and some other places. And they're doing much better in the polls there. Because if you inundate the airwaves with your name, people start to recognize it. And, and you know, it, you know, I, it, I could if I if I had enough money and could could run nonstop ads talking about how wonderful and smart and nice I am, then I could have people who wanted to vote for me as well. So um, there's some of that. I I don't think he stands a real chance, but 
I, you know, when you have that much money to throw around, who knows what will happen in these in these secondary states? There's an argument to be made that he's not actually he doesn't actually care about winning, that he's using his candidacy and the sort of campaign you know, laws and rates that apply to attack Donald Trump. Right. That this is his attempt mm-hmm. to. And, and so uh, it was announced that he's he's really targeting what four uh, basically endangered Republicans with with uh, impeachment um, ads over the next whatever, the next couple of weeks. I, it, from a Democratic perspective, that's great. Like I, the argument could be that if Steyer and Bloomberg really wanted to make a difference, then what you do is you spend your billions of dollars not trying to up your own name, but just hitting Donald Trump on impeachment, on his record, all of that stuff. That would make a huge, uh, you know, impact on on Democrats. There's a chance he's doing that, um, and there's growing evidence that that's what Bloomberg is doing. But I also think that maybe the the you know. The, the idea that he cares about himself and his own name, uh, I, I'm still tend to lean that way <laughs> until I see you know conclusively yeah. otherwise. He's he's got skin in the game for sure. Yeah, <laughs> I mean there, there's even talk from his own campaign that you know if he does drop out at some point, most likely in the near future, he's going to keep running ads mm-hmm. at the you know non discounted rate that's afforded to candidates, which just is is ridiculous because realistically i think the timing is bad in the sense that you're now trying to divide the democratic party at a time where you can't afford to get more divided than you already are you're going to drive up the cost for a potential front runner to have to market themselves going forward which isn't effective to to get a, a policy um platform in place that most people can follow and you're talking about TV ads, which realistically, the demographics show that younger people aren't necessarily watching TV. So you're talking to older people in the demographic or, you know, in the in the wider um, electorate demographics, um, which most people tend to be more conservative. And a lot of them are watching Fox News on top of it. And the likelihood that you're going to drastically change their opinions is slim to nil, I would say. I think that all these things kind of tend to point towards him not necessarily uh, wanting to be the president, but wanting to run for some sort of other office going forward after this is all said mm-hmm. and done. He's a snake. I hate him. <laughs> well, my initial reaction was when he started running these ads, like, oh, just go away, right? I'm tired of money being able to buy influence. But it's anecdotal. But the more those ads are on, the more people I talk to, you hear people say like, well, you know, it doesn't sound so bad. Him and Steyer. So I think they could be effective. And to Phil's point, it all depends on how he targets those ads. So if he is committed to defeating Donald Trump, that could be a powerful tool for the Democratic Party. If his goal is to try to win the presidency, he could cause a lot of trouble on the Democratic side, which is not good for the Democratic Party. We'll see where his intentions lie. Obviously, he thinks he can knock off Joe Biden. You know, that's probably not if he starts leveling attacks at Biden, that's not good for the party as a whole. Mm. Um, But I'm surprised at how influential all of these ads are and kind of softening up the public. And they're on all of the time. If you're watching a football game, ad after ad after ad. And if he keeps this up over the the duration and he's, if he's targeting states where, you know, Trump is is strong, this this really could have an are impact. You, I, are you getting ads for other candidates? So I, all I have is the New Hampshire experience. No. And I get ad, we see ads all the time from all sorts of candidates. You're only seeing Bloomberg ads. We see a couple Trump ads and mostly in Illinois, mostly boom, Bloomberg ads. I, I really I, I'll I, I don't see any. 
I, I'm, I don't watch actual TV. Well, there's something wrong with kids these days. Yeah, you should but, be watching yeah. Fox News. What are you doing? Right. Yeah. No, but I would say like on, yeah, in, in Illinois, network TV, we're getting a ton of Bloomberg ads and nobody, maybe a couple of Joe Bidens I've seen. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, you know, this is big money that's going around. He, there's going to be some sort of major gaffe with his ad in the Super Bowl. I'm, oh, I'm going to call it right now. It's like not, it. it's going to be bad. Whatever it is, it's going to be bad. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Trump or Bloomberg? No, Bloomberg. Oh. Yeah. I like it. Trump can do whatever the hell he wants and he's yeah. going to give a shit. All right. Final topic. So we're going to finish today by looking at two political stories and deciding who had the worst week. <laughs> Story number one, the National Archives. So the National Archives, which calls itself the country's record keeper, apologized on Saturday for altering a photo of protesters at the 2017 Women's March that blurred out references critical of President Trump. We made a mistake, began a statement that the archivers released on Saturday. The photo of protesters holding signs was part of an exhibit, rightfully hers, America Women and the Vote, which examined the struggle of women to gain the right to vote. But signs critical of the president that appeared in the photo, including the one that said, God hates Trump. I don't know how they know that, but that's you know good for them. We're <laughs> doctored in God. I know what you're to blur about. out Trump's name. Interesting. So the National Archives blurring photos. Story number two. Space Force. So on Friday, Space Force offered the world a first look at its utility uniforms, unleashing a torrent of mockery over its decision to use camouflage pattern for a military branch associated with the dark, endless uh, endlessness of the universe. Do you not see how foresty Endor is? I don't know what you're talking <laughs> about. Right. We're going to have to go deal with the Ewoks. Oh, so Space Force soon began trending on Twitter, and not in a good way. One Twitter user wrote, quote, never know when you're going to have to blend into a space jungle or hide behind a space bush. All right. So I ask you, gentlemen, who had the worst week? Phil, you want to start us off? I... <laughs> I don't know. I'm torn. I, my my tendency is to say that it was to say that the National Archives thing was um, was just bad, right? Like the archives, if you're if you're trying yeah. to preserve stuff, you know, you just you preserve it. You don't like editorialize it. Um, and so the 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 guy who got the job of designing space out space uniforms <laughs> and decided to make them camo that that was my initial thought. Like I, that's the you know when I think of somebody having a bad week like on a sitcom, that's it, right? That idiot. Like he could be a Seinfeld character, right? George Costanza could have come up that with, was the with George that, Costanza uh, yes. with camouflage space outfits. Yes. Outfits. Who, I, yeah, yeah. I've had too much yeah, beer that I'm referring right. to military uniforms as outfits. <laughs> <laughs> Nick, worst week. Uh, realistically, I, you know, the National Archives could have just picked different pictures or something sure. like that. Like it just or not blurred them or just. Well, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. Yes. Yeah. They probably just shouldn't have blurred them. Yeah. But I, I have no doubt that there are other instances of this from previous administrations sure. that have done the exact same thing. In terms of the Space Force, like, it's it's, it's so fucking, it's just so dumb. Like, it would be better if it, it looked like it was a Mylar suit from, like, the 50s or yes. something. Yes, yes. Anything. Stripes. <laughs> right. But, and people make fun of this, but realistically, it's stripes. <laughs> you know, at some point, this this concept, as stupid as it is right now, is going to be a real thing. And, like, it's, it's I, the fact that you're starting this as in, in such a, a buffoonish, just yeah. dumb way negates the importance of what space is going to mean in terms of, you know, geopolitics and, yeah. uh, you know, uh, military power, hard power, soft power, whatever you want to talk about. This is a big thing. 
And to do that just seems really, just really, really dumb to me. Yeah, no, I, I agree. I, I think the Space Force but thing again, is... again, we have to kill all the Ewoks. So it's very important. <laughs> the Space Force thing is dumb. Yeah. You know, and I, apparently they did it for cost-saving reasons, right? Well, you don't have to come up with a new uniform. We've got these. That's dumb. The National Archives, it's terrible because they are the truth tellers. Their job is to record things as they are. Ugly, whatever it is. I mean, they are they are intentionally, the National Archives are, are their building is between Congress and the White House, right? The idea is that they are there to, to preserve data as it is. And when you start blurring things, you're you're editorializing. You can't do that. It's it's terrible. But you have to, by definition, you have to editorialize some of that because you can't preserve all of that, can you? I think you can. You just preserve it as it is, whether it's ugly or whether it's you know whatever it is. Your job is just to say, here are the here's the evidence. And when you start trying to tell a story, and maybe this is the problem, right? When you start doing exhibits, you try to tell a story, right? And in doing an exhibit, and again, the, you know, the whole thing about the women's march is very, very different from women giving the right to vote, right? I mean, I, I think even that you're trying to cram things together into one narrative. Don't do that. Keep the documents. Just let the documents speak for themselves, especially in an era. And I, I know I'm going long here, but mm-hmm. when Trump is attacking institutions, whatever the institution is, Trump is going to attack it. He attacked the National Weather Service. He's attacked the military in various well, they're ways. Wrong about everything. It was supposed <laughs> to snow last week, and we got like half an yeah. inch. And it's just, it's just so stupid. You got to know better, right? If you're an institution in an era of Trump, you have to maintain integrity at all costs. And now they're blurring things and they're just opening themselves up for critique. I just feel like there's, yes, this is a more blatant example of that. But in some instance, or in, in, in a lot of ways, their job is you can't take in all information all the time. So there is going to be some sort of lean or bend to whatever that they, they do in terms of if, mm-hmm. if you're, if one of your primary goals is to, um, fund the institution. And some of that is through tourism and presenting stuff in a way that appeals to people and makes them want to come there. You're going to have to do something yeah. to editorialize it. Are you not? I, 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 museums, yes. National archives, no. Your job is to record and organize the data, right? So, so I, you're absolutely right. If you're if you're the the museum who's trying to stay in business, you got to get people coming through the door. No, the National Archives, you're going to stick around. You know, you're the government is going to pay for you forever. Just g- grab the documents, hold on to them, let people look at them. Do you think the museums that are down the street? Do, do they just present things no, as they are? No, lots of editorializing, right? <laughs> but I think that's the unique thing about the National Archives, right? It is it is a repository for documents. Then it should be that. You shouldn't yeah. do any exhibitions at all. I'd be should okay with that. I would be okay with show that, Show the documents. Show the documents and right. that's it. I agree yeah. with that. We're good. We're good. <laughs> Nick and I have figured it out, Phil. <laughs> oh, Jesus. <laughs> um, <laughs> think about that tomato lobby thing. I know. <laughs> <laughs> and, and razor blades in our lunches. It's all macaroni for me. Just that was, there were a lot of good ones. Um, anyways, guys, I started that way too early. Um, that's all we have for today. Yeah. Um, if you guys have questions, comments, uh, want to see what we're up to, beer suggestions, we would love some beer suggestions. Um, follow us on Twitter uh, at Barstool Paul, P O L, Facebook at Barstool Politics. Beers we try, you can find it on Tapped on iOS or Android. Just search for Barstool Politics on there. Uh, the podcast, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, SoundCloud, Stitcher, uh, Google Play Music. Is that what I normally say? Yeah. Um, 
whatever most major podcasting platforms uh, blueberry blueberry um yeah share us through there we we appreciate the support and then our merch line you can find on uh teespring uh, and you can find a direct link through our social channels which i just gave you um t-shirts uh hoodies mugs we're gonna add other stuff i i gotta make that fill tongue thing now it's that's just gonna be funny. the mouth feel yeah <laughs> right, we're gonna have to work on that one um yeah anything else guys i think we're good I can't wait to, you know, have like two <laughs> days left of the, the trial to talk about next week and then just be done with it. It's going to be great. <laughs> so we'll see you guys next week. Cheers. Cheers. Cheers.